Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowley. everybody. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the 14th chapter of the gospel of John. Jesus is speaking. Now to set this up, Jesus was in the upper room. This was the night of the last supper and he was talking after they had eaten. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. (laughs) Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the book of Acts, we get the chance to read about many different small players in the great story of how the Christian church grew in the months and years after Jesus was resurrected. Most of us have heard a bit about the 12 disciples, Jesus' core students and followers. Now these 12 received a new name. We called them the apostles, those who go out as they began to proclaim the startling news that Jesus had lived, Jesus had died, and Jesus had lived again. Like the heralds of old, who were also called apostles, these people went throughout the known world and proclaimed that a new king had come to the world. And that king was called Jesus of Nazareth and was descended from both the great Jewish King David and more directly was the Son of God, who walked on the earth. As the early church came together after the day of Pentecost, when a small band of 120 followers suddenly grew to 3,000 followers of Christ, it became apparent that there were two types of people who were members of this new religion. Most of the local Jews who had become Christian spoke mainly Aramaic and some Hebrew, and they lived in the ways common to the people of Israel. Because of that, they were known as Hebraic Jews. But there were also many of the new Christians who were Jews who had grown up outside of Israel. These men and women's primary language was Greek, and they had adopted the Greek culture that was dominant in the Eastern Mediterranean. They were known as Hellenistic Jews after Helen, the woman Helen of Greece who became Helen of Troy. And as with any differences... There developed a bit of argument between these two Christian groups here in the months and years right after the resurrection. The Hellenistic, or the Greek-speaking Jews, the Greek-speaking Christians, felt that their widows were being shortchanged in the daily distributions of food by the assembly. As the argument grew, the twelve, the disciples who were now the apostles, gathered everyone together to solve the problem. 
And since they felt that their, their calling was to focus upon understanding Scripture and teaching it, they suggested that a group of seven men should be appointed as servants, or diaconus, from which we get our word deacon, so that they could distribute the food. So the following men were appointed, most of whom bore Greek names. There was Stephen and Philip. There was Procurus and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, the last one of which was actually a convert to Judaism. The problem was solved as the apostles prayed over them and laid hands upon them to consecrate them for the job. Now Stephen became known as a man who could perform signs and wonders because of the Holy Spirit that was in him and that he listened to. But a particular group of Jews known as the Synagogue of the Freedmen, which was made up of Jews from Egypt and Libya and southern Turkey, they began to argue with Stephen, although he bested them in those arguments because of the Holy Spirit-given wisdom that he had. So the Synagogue of the Freedmen found some men to say that Stephen was blaspheming, the same capital crime that had gotten Jesus executed. When brought to trial, Stephen used his defense opportunity to preach the gospel to the assembled crowd. His speech takes up most of Acts chapter 7. Our first reading is the finish of that chapter and Stephen's life, for he said he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, referring to Jesus by the same name that Jesus had often referred to himself by. And so they violently killed Stephen by stoning him, while a young man named Saul watched the coats of those who threw the stones. But as Stephen was dying, dying he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen had forgiven his attackers, and he pleaded with God to forgive them. And then he died. Stephen had become the first Christian martyr, a Greek word that means simply witness, but in English means one who dies for a cause. He had also become the first Christian priest. In the ancient world, there were priests in many different religions, just as today there are priests in many religions. The, key, the Latin word for priest is pontifex, or bridge builder. And this is a clue to the key function of a priest. A priest is to build bridges between God and people, and between people and God. That day, as Stephen was being attacked, he behaved in the truest way as a priest. For he was focused that day, not on saving himself, but on helping people understand what God had done through the life of Christ. And he also tried to connect even his attackers with God by asking God to forgive them for their sin in attacking him and killing him. And you know that day began a journey for the young man named Saul who held the coats of Stephen's attackers. Eventually this led to Saul changing his name to Paul, who, be, who was the apostle who later planted new Christian churches all over the eastern Mediterranean and wrote the most books of the New Testament. Stephen had truly built a bridge which was extremely important for the people of the world. Today, we can build bridges too. In town that day, there was another apostle, the apostle Peter. Now, we all know Peter by now. He's that brash fisherman. 
He'd been the captain of the boat. He was always ready to try anything for Jesus. Peter was also the man who preached, who denied even knowing Jesus the night of his arrest. But then he later became the man who preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost that brought over 3,000 men to be baptized and join the church. Peter, you see, had had a momentary lapse caused by his fear, but Jesus forgave him by his command to the women at the resurrection to tell the disciples and Peter to meet him at such and such a place. Jesus had forgiven and welcomed Peter back on the day of resurrection, forgiving him and giving him a place in his kingdom. And Peter surely understood who Jesus was. Peter had been there that Thursday evening of the Last Supper. When Jesus spoke at length, including the speech that's chapter 14 of John's Gospel, our Gospel reading today, Peter had heard Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. But the disciple Philip that night was still confused. He asked Jesus just to show them the Father. But Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. And more clearly than almost anywhere else, Jesus told the disciples and us that night that he and the Father were inseparable. You know, I sometimes have people ask whether they should pray to God, to Father God or to Jesus, to which my answer is always yes. For you see, it doesn't really matter which one you pray to. Jesus said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And in another place, in John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Here Jesus clearly makes the point that Jesus is God on the earth. Something that can seem very complicated when we talk about the Trinity, but it's as simple as knowing that Jesus and God and Holy Spirit are all the same substance. They just look differently. Like when we see the sun through the sun's light and we see the world through that same light and we feel the warmth of the sun through that same light. Or perhaps taking a single software program that sometimes looks like an installation program and sometimes it looks like pictures and text on our screen and sometimes it's a powerful computation engine running calculations down deep inside the computer where we can't see it. It's all the same, but it seems different. One substance, but we perceive it in three different ways, just as we perceive God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit differently. But as Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus emphasized that night his tight connection with God the Father and with the power that the Holy Spirit within us gives us by telling the disciples and us, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And in another place that evening, Jesus tells us that he must go to the Father before he can send us the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. It's our belief in Jesus that sets us up to receive the Holy Spirit through baptism and the laying on of hands in the baptism ceremony. 
And so we who believe and have been baptized now have the Holy Spirit. And so we can do even greater things than Jesus did on the earth if we have that deep faith and trust in the words of Jesus. Jesus made an even stronger promise that evening to us. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. And you may ask, for, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now we shouldn't get greedy and we also understand that God knows when we truly want something deep down inside, a lot of times we ask for things that we don't really want. But I do challenge you to do this. Keep a prayer journal. Write down what you pray for and when you pray for it. And then next year at this time, come back and check your journal and see what prayers were answered and how. Happened to me once. In the spring of 2001, I was so intent upon getting people into church. I desired people to come to church so much that I prayed for our churches to double and triple in size. And then as an afterthought, I prayed before the end of September, Lord. It doesn't have to be overnight, just by the end of September. And you may remember what happened on September 11th of that year and what effect that had on church attendance over the next few weeks. For some reason, God granted that prayer. Maybe hundreds of other people were praying that same prayer. God answers prayers, and it can be scary when you write down what you're praying for and see what happens. For we're much more than just little nobodies, specks of dust on the chessboard of life. Our prayers matter in this world. Our prayers are heard and God reacts to our prayers. The world is changed by our prayers. Our prayers are the bridges between the earth and God. Our problem is that we don't really think God will do anything. And our other problem is that deep down we usually don't even want God to do anything. Later in life, Peter wrote a couple of letters. And today we have a reading from chapter 2 of his first letter. And he has some important things to say to us. First of all, he tells us to rid ourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And just as newborn babies crave milk, we should crave pure spiritual milk. Good teaching and a pure soul. Why? Peter says, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Our salvation is not just a one-time event. We have to grow up in it. Because we have tasted that what the Lord gives us is good, we should continue to grow on what Jesus feeds us through his teachings. And Peter points out that there's a grand plan behind all this. We're being built up into a holy priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Our prayers, our time spent understanding God in Christ, our work building bridges between people and God, these are our spiritual sacrifices to God. And it's through Jesus that these bridges between people and God are being built. Peter makes several Old Testament references about Jesus being the cornerstone of a spiritual building, possibly a spiritual bridge. 
And then Peter turns back to the priesthood. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's talking to us. God's special possession, he says. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are to praise him. We often think that only the Catholic Church has priests. Or we think that minister or pastor is just another name for priests. And so all churches have priests. Both of these miss the mark somewhat. First of all, the Episcopal Church, which is known in England as the Anglican Church or the Church of England, is the church from which the Methodist Church was born. And John and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Methodist movement, were both officially known as Anglican priests and served in the Church of England. And the Orthodox churches of the East, which grew from the church in Antioch, where the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and Silas all taught, they called their church leaders priests. It's not just the Catholic Church who has priests. But following the Apostle Peter's letter, we all are supposed to be part of the priesthood of all believers. A group of men and women who build bridges between God and people and between people and God. Each one of you, each one of us, is to act to connect this everyday world with God the Father through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So what have you prayed for with intensity this week? When was the last time you prayed for particular people to come to know Jesus? How often do you pray for our church to grow? Well, you see... Our job as a holy priesthood is to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And one way we do that is to surrender up our feeling of control. We need to spiritually sacrifice, to lay up on the altar our idea that we have to do all the work. And we have to spiritually sacrifice our wants upon that altar and focus instead outside ourselves and what other people need. Of course, most of us tend to treat God like our genie servant with three wishes. But God asks us to spiritually sacrifice. We must give up our petty wants, our silly wishes, our truly selfish dreams of becoming billionaires or having the toys of billionaires and get real. Sacrificing the trivial and the silly and the selfish dreams upon the altar in exchange for the truly important, the meaningful, the selfless. And instead, we need to focus upon our spiritually proper desires for others, for God will give them what we passionately desire if it's good for us and for others. And a good way to do that is to begin to pray more for others and their deep happiness than for ourselves and our short-term, trivial, silly wants. Have you ever noticed that most people don't have all the money that they want? Just the money they need. And have you ever noticed that while some people lust after Lamborghini sports cars, most of us have pickups or SUVs or drive old junkers? That's what we need rather than what we want. That's because those pickups and SUVs and old junkers are what God and us know we need. We can have plenty of money, 
if we're willing to work ourselves silly for that money, we know the secret to making lots of money. All it takes is working hard and smart, 80 hours a week for 20 years. That's all you have to do to make a lot of money. But what most of us want is free money, winning the lottery without work. And God knows that's not good for most of us. You'll remember Jack Whitaker, who won $150 million in the lottery about 10, 10, 15 years ago and was dead just a few years later because he partied too much and his family got torn up and everything was lost. In the same way, you know, most churches want people to flood our churches despite what we say to them or do to them. We want God to send us visitors, but we don't want to have to greet them or become friends with them or change anything we're doing. We don't even want to move from our seats. We don't want to ask anyone to come, or we may ask people to come, but we don't want to talk with anyone except Christians. We don't want to explain anything about Christianity to people. It's hard enough for us to simply ask someone to come to church. And so when our churches gradually lose people over the years as people transfer to heaven, we grow discouraged. In fact, we begin to justify it to ourselves by saying, I love a small church. But our job as a holy priesthood is to bring people to Christ. We're to build bridges between people and God. We're not to be satisfied with a small church. We're to build strong and sound, heavy-duty bridges that will survive a hurricane, for the devil will send a hurricane of trouble after someone if he can keep them from Christ. We need to help people understand what real faith is and how a strong faith will survive those winds. How an understanding that God will occasionally deny prayers because God wants us to grow closer to him is part of what's good for us. Those are the bridges of faith that we're asked to build, fellow priest of God. But you know, most Christians are lucky to build a wobbly faith footbridge made of rope over the deep chasms of life by their own efforts, for they forget that God is ready to help us build those bridges, that Jesus will provide the spiritual stones for those bridges, that God can work with even those wobbly foot, foot, wobbly rope footbridges try saying that three times fast because God created the universe and Jesus was willing to die for each and every person who might walk on one of the bridges even if it's a simple line of twine over the chasm last week Sandra reminded her church that God can indeed send people to a church the prayer is most important and more important than money or strong backs That's what's important in a church. She told them that simply being positive and praising God and praying was their role. And then, just after the service ended, a young teenage boy and a young teenage girl, that's not them, walked back into the church. The two of them had attended VBS last summer, but they hadn't been back since. They'd walked to the church from their home And they were coming to Sunday school for the first time in many years. And one woman quickly jumped to provide that Sunday school for them. 
And so God sent 7th Street, a couple of young people, just to remind the people of the church that they don't need to depend upon their own efforts, their own money, their backs. But they do need to remember that God wants people who depend upon him through prayer. That God wants a holy priesthood that prays for people, connects them to God, that builds bridges through prayer and takes care of the people as best they can. As Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The key to building those bridges, my fellow priests of God, is to ask for help building them. Ask the one who sacrificed his body to be the cornerstone of all those bridges. And he will step up and make sure that your spiritual bridges are strong and solid. Let us break bread together on our knees. Let us break bread together on our knees. When I fall on my knees, with my face to the rising sun. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.